You're listening to Washington Post Live's First Look podcast with Jonathan Capehart. Welcome to First Look, Washington Post Live's one-stop shop for news and analysis. I'm Jonathan Capehart, associate editor for The Washington Post. Yesterday, the FBI arrested a 21-year-old member of the Massachusetts National Guard for the alleged leaking online of an extraordinary trove of classified government secrets from the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency. So many questions about this incredible story, and we have the perfect person to answer them. Joining me now, national security, national security reporter for The Washington Post, Alex Horton. Alex, welcome back to First Look. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jonathan. So who is Jack Teixeira? How did he gain access to the classified information, and where did he post it? Uh, so what we know about him, he's a 21-year-old member of the uh, Massachusetts Air National Guard, and one of his responsibilities was to work on the uh, the cyber networks there at the installation uh, outside of Cape Cod. Um, so what we can tell by now and all the stories that we've reported so far are the documents that we've seen posted in the chat uh, app called Discord, which is popular for gamers to set up you know, time so they can live stream um, and discuss any number of topics. Like think of it as sort of like a, a voice-based, more digital version of a of, of Reddit forum. Um, so we know this guy, um, you know, based on interviews we've done with with people who knew him from the Discord server um, and other stuff we found online that this guy had sort of like a really kind of, even though he was 21, had this sort of paternal figure to these group of wayward kids that were, you know, struggling during the pandemic. Uh, you know, they were all interested in gaming and guns and, um, you know, they they seemed to espouse, you know, pretty um, at times alarming, you know, anti-Semitic, anti-Semitic and and racist views as well. Um, but um, even though they had that dynamic between them, this 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 guy's 21 years old and fairly junior member of the military, which I think is a little bit more of a modest um, uh, job uh, that he had in reality. Um, but the the access that he had to these these uh, documents, you know, is is pretty astonishing. They they're some of the most closely guarded secrets of the U.S. intelligence service. Mm -hmm. I want to talk more about that in a second. How many documents are we talking about um, that he leaked on um, Discord? Um, we, we are, ourselves, the, the Washington Post, have have secured uh, more than three hundred. Oh, more than three hundred. So, um, as you were alluding to a moment ago, the Washington Post has run a series of stories this week uh, on the Russian Russia Ukraine war based on those online leaks, including that the Pentagon believes the the um, that negotiations to end this war, quote, are unlikely in 2023 in all considered scenarios. What other information have we learned from these leaks? Um, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot in there. There's a lot that backs up some of our reporting from the ground. Uh, I was just in Ukraine for uh, a little over three weeks uh, for most of March. Um, and, you know, the Ukrainians are are fighting very hard, very fiercely in a lot of places. Um, but they're also taking a lot of casualties, just like the Russians. Uh, they're also running low on on certain types of munitions like artillery uh, and air defense missiles. Um, and that's something that Ukrainians are very frank about when the, you talk about their capabilities and what the West uh, has given them. And, you know, maybe just as importantly, um, has not given them fast enough. Um, a lot of that, those munitions and Western provided weapons is is what they say they need a lot more of. Um, so a lot of that is, you know, more apparent in the docs than what, you know, the Pentagon and the Biden administration are saying up front about the, the challenges of 
of the Ukrainian military, the constraints they have, not just in their force size, but like how the war has impacted their ability to, to put new soldiers in the fight and arm them, equip and arm and equip them properly. Um, that that's detailed in the docs with a lot more candor than we're getting um, out of the administration. Um, but there's also a lot of stuff on there about the uh, the challenges that the Russians face. Um, we just published a story today. Um, I looked at some of the information about the Russian Spetsnaz uh, brigades, which are sort of like a, a commando special operations type unit. Um, the Russians have been using them as sort of a conventional force since the war began. And that has completely gutted their uh, their ranks, according to these documents. Um, one of the findings is they might take five to ten years to to reconstitute because they're so specially trained and their numbers of casualties are so high that uh, Moscow is going to have a really difficult time rebuilding some of its more specialized units. You know, in Ireland yesterday, President Biden seemed to downplay the damage that was done by these le these leaks. Listen. I'm not concerned about the leakages, and I'm concerned that it happened. But there's nothing contemporaneous that I'm aware of that is of great consequence. Um, I'm aware, uh, uh, there's nothing contemporaneous that I'm aware of that is of great consequence. Alex, um, do our allies share that view? Um, they might privately, um, you know, publicly, you know, there's a lot of downplaying here about the what you would expect from from government officials a lot of these leaks are from um you know the december time frame january and february um some you know like early march um so depending on you know what it is and how how much of an enduring assessment it is um there are there some of the information is more fresh and ongoing than others um, some of it was about, you know, Russian strikes that may or may not have happened. Uh, some of the intel was describing and just showing the level of U.S. intelligence penetration into Russian operations. Um, some of the documents said, you know, at such and such place, at such and such time, there's going to be a strike on this place um, using this munition. And, you know, those were like, you know, in January and February and March. So they have already happened. Um, so that's not that's not too damaging. Um, but what is potentially really damaging in ways we might not even know about yet um, is the uh, the sources and methods that are revealed in those documents and described in them that might help, you know, the Russians and possibly the Chinese figure out, you know, how the U.S. knows what it knows about um, conversations that the Chinese have had, conversations the Russian intelligence have had, um, and, you know, any number of other uh, intercepts that have happened across governments uh, all over the world. You know, Alex, um, <clears throat> even though the president is downplaying it, the administration is down is downplaying this leak, uh, the White House, though, has agreed to give the Senate a closed-door briefing about this leak next week, next Wednesday. Is this a sign that the administration is more concerned about the leaks than they're letting on publicly? Yeah, no big deal, right? You know, just you know, just an FBI raid on this guy's house, and um, you know, Pentagon uh, constraining access to classified information in response to this. Uh, world leaders vehemently denying all this, the uh, details and the assessments. You know, it's just business as usual, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot here damaging, and like I said, um, I don't even think there's a full reckoning among people who follow this of what could possibly come next with all this stuff. I mean, there's there's 
even like boutique, very secretive, like um, really probably advanced um, satellite technology that's described in the documents. For example, um, you know, some of the uh, experts that uh, my colleagues and I have spoken to, when we just said the name of it, they were surprised that we knew the name of this satellite capability. So that goes to show you that there is stuff in there that you could even miss. You can just gloss right over that is some of the most closely guarded secrets and capabilities in the entire U.S. intelligence system. And, you know, you're, I, I think it's kind of, um, you know, pretty standard for the administration to say, oh, well, you know, no big deal, you know, nothing to see here. Um, so in about that minute we have left, considering you've got this trove of info and there's a there's a new story today, what might we, what are you working on that we, we might see over the weekend or next week? Well, that remains to be seen. Uh, you know, we, the, <laughs> the documents we have are the documents we have. Um, and, you know, for example, the, the, the Spetsnaz story that we published this morning, um, you know, has, has some exclusive material in there. So, um, you know, I'd ask readers to to go to the homepage right now and check it out. Um, so, you know, we're going to continue to publish um, some stories uh, about the revelations in the documents and, and report them out. And the website is WashingtonPost.com. <laughs> Alex Horton, okay. national security reporter for the Washington Post. Thanks for coming back to First Look. Have a good weekend. You too. Thanks. Right, we're going to keep the conversation going with our opinions roundtable in just a moment. Let's go to the opinion side of the Washington Post, where we will find Washington Post associate editor Ruth Marcus and Washington Post columnist Hugh Hewitt. Ruth and Hugh, welcome back to First Look. Good morning. Good morning. All right, let's keep talking about the documents uh, leak case. We'd love for each of you to give your your reactions. Hugh, you go first. What do you well, it's a, it's a great bit of reporting by the Post, Alex and his team. I tweeted out yesterday that the Post beat the FBI to the story, and they did. <laughs> and the New York Times wasn't far behind. There's a world that anyone over 50 doesn't know much about, the world of gaming. And the younger you get, the less we know about that culture. I've been working on a piece for a couple of weeks with David Vondrelli, by the way, about this culture and how little we know about it. These are kids. They're now kids who've done enormous damage to national security. But the culture in which they function, the gaming culture, is fascinating. And I just recommend to everyone the novel Tomorrow After Tomorrow After Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. She is of the left and her characters are of the left. But what it really teaches people 50 and older is we really don't have a grip on what this generation does, thinks, and has been impacted. And clearly, they're not thinking much about national security. Hmm. Ruth. Um, I have three quick points that I want to make about this. The first is that I really doubt the, I understand why the president is trying and others are trying to downplay the impact here. I really doubt that. We hear constantly from the intelligence community that they can't release 50-year-old uh, documents because it risks sources and methods. This is about as close to a real-time leak as we get. And I imagine that heads are exploding in Langley and elsewhere. Uh, number two is what in the world was somebody from the Massachusetts Air National Guard doing being able to access this kind of information? We hear a lot of things about, um, a lot of arguments which are correct about things being overclassified. That is true, but uh, th there's classified information simultaneously that is clearly being way more broadly distributed and accessible than should be. And the third point that I wanna make, and then I promise I'll stop talking, 
is that the response from conservatives and Tucker Carlson, I'm talking about you and Marjorie Taylor Greene, I'm sure you're watching, but I'm talking about you as well, that portrays this um, young man as some sort of hero is just absolutely despicable. Um, he sounds like a not very um, laudable human being and the notion that he is the truth teller about the deep state um, just puts shame on the people who are praising him. Hugh, what do you make of that, that you've got uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, a member of Congress, uh, praising this person? Well, I, I look to what I think about it, and I'm pretty representative of the center right. It's a disaster for national security, and I've worked in that area for almost eight years. And anyone who says other than that doesn't know anything about national security and about what methods and sources. The reveal you touched on with Alex about the satellite system, that's wow. the stunner. And you can guess the people who are focused most on these documents are the Chinese Communist Party and the Russian secret services and the Iranian secret services. It's devastating. It's terrible. And he doesn't hold himself out as a whistleblower. He's not doing. He's a kid trying to show off to younger kids. And it was a disaster for our country. The president is downplaying it, but not nearly as I haven't heard the uh, Taylor Green comments. And I was asleep before Tucker came on last night. But if they said that, they are very wrong. Very, very wrong. Trust you know, me, Hugh, I'm a good reporter. <laughs> um, you know, Ruth, when you were giving your, I think it was on point two, um, um, I, was, I was brought back to, remember Reality Winner? Um, yep. She got arrested for photocopying um, classified material and they were, able to, they were able to find her. She's in jail. Um, before really we, I mean, I think we knew about the story, but it seemed relatively quickly that they found her. Why is it that um, um, Jack, Jack Teixeira was able to post all of these, some of them real-time classified information on, uh, online for days, it seems? Is this but a failure, I guess is the question. The, the internet is a really big place. And it one thing that this makes clear in addition to point number two, which I made, which is um, there should not be this kind of ability to access information is the intelligence community and the law enforcement community needs to somehow do a better job with the aid of technology of keeping track of what is out there in these rather obscure places, corners of the internet that you and I would never go, but where people are clearly picking up and distributing information. A couple more questions on this before we move on to the, some other really big topics um, today. Impact on the allies. How concerned uh, should the Biden administration be about the allies' reaction to yet another leak of, class, of, of U.S. classified information that puts all their business out in the street, as one would say? Hugh. Uh, well, I asked Ambassador Oren that uh, two days ago. He said, very concerning to the Israelis. Very, very. He's the former Israeli ambassador to the United States. Can they trust what they give to us or does it leak? And I just want to reiterate what I said and what Ruth said. There's a continent out there, the gaming world and the IT world, that I don't know anything about and very few people over the age of 50 knows about. It's made us incredibly vulnerable to the stupidity of young people. This isn't the Walker case. It's not the Hansen case. It's not the cases of the 80s and 90s when spies spied for money or ideology. This is stupidity at work. 
and the opportunity for stupidity is now continent-sized, and, and they know that we don't know what everyone is doing and that our systems aren't very, very strong to protect them uh, from exposure of their most sensitive secrets as well as our own. Uh, agreed, except that there is a clearly more than a dollop of ideology going on here as well, and it is ugly, repugnant ideology. Right. Um, one more thing. Do you think these leaks will have any kind of impact uh, on Russia's war on Ukraine? No. Ruth? I, I think to the extent that um, they, they provide an accurate picture of vulnerabilities and the need to provide additional support for Ukraine, there could be an odd benefit there, but that is not worth the potential cost. Mm -hmm. All right, switching gears to abortion. On Wednesday, the conservative Fifth, Court, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals blocked a decision by a Texas judge to suspend approval of an abortion pill, but set restrictions on access, but yeah, set restrictions on access to that pill. Yesterday, uh, the Justice Department announced it will take this fight to the Supreme Court. Ruth? How on earth is this case this far along when um, there are serious questions about the standing of the litigants to bring this case? Um, well, one quick answer to that is uh, Judge Matthew Kaczmarek and the Amarillo, all alone in the Amarillo division of uh, the federal district court in Texas. Um, he is, uh, as I've written, I think I called him the worst federal judge in America. Sorry, Judge Kaczmarek, you do have a lot of competition. Um, he breezed through all of the important prudential conservative, small c um, conservative limitations on judicial power to find standing in this case. He shouldn't have done it. The Fifth Circuit, who got this on an emergency appeal, decided um, and also incorrectly that there was standing to challenge this and also breezed through all the reasons why you should leave the status quo in place. No one should be confused about this. The Fifth Circuit did not come up with a compromise. They um, ignored the law and changed the reality. And the reality is this, uh, until the Fifth Circuit action, and I remain hopeful that the Supreme Court will intervene because the findings on standing here alone um, contravene a numerous Supreme Court precedents. But here's the deal. Mifepristone, the abortion medication, should be available for 10 weeks, not seven. We've now rolled it back to seven if this order takes effect. You were able to access it without having to see a doctor in person. Now you will have to go to an in-person visit not once, but three times. You won't be able to get it from a nurse practitioner or a pharmacist. You will have to see a physician. This just puts burden after burden that the FDA has said is not medically necessary um, in, in order to obtain mifepristone. And I remain hopeful and even slightly confident that the Supreme Court will put this aside, uh, stay the order while we figure out who's right and who's wrong here. Um, uh, Hugh, do you agree with Ruth? Do you think that the 6-3 conservative majority of the Supreme Court um, that um, um, invalidated Roe versus, overturned Roe versus Wade is going to set aside the Kaczmarek case? I do, but not for the reasons Ruth said. I think they have standing 
I don't think the case is moot, and I do believe they exhausted their administrative remedies. There are three rulemakings involved here, and I hate to go all con law and, and administrative law on you, but uh, there's a 2000 ruling by the FDA, there's a 2016 ruling by the FDA, and there's a revision, I think, in 2021. Uh, they're barred from challenging the 2000 rule. That's going to be obvious. The 2016 rule comes down to Chevron deference towards the FDA. So if there is standing, it isn't moot, and they have exhausted the Alliance Defending Freedom. And full disclosure, they're friends of mine. I appear at their conferences. They pay me. They're sponsors of my radio show, and they've won 14 cases before the Supreme Court. They're very good lawyers. I expect they're going to have a very difficult time arguing under Chevron deference as it exists that the FDA could not adopt the changes that they did in 2016 and 2021. But it's not a closed question, and I am persuaded that the doctors involved do have standing and that it is not moot and that they didn't need to exhaust any other remedy. I hope that's not too much law, and I hope that disclosure is enough. Ruth is very concerned about disclosures these days, so I want to make sure mine is full and complete. <laughs> and you know what? Um, we're going to get to um, Justice Thomas and disclosure uh, after I ask this. One more question real quick, Ruth, on this. In all of this, we're talking about Judge Kesmerick in Texas. But what about that Washington ruling that came down within an hour of the, uh, of the Kesmerick ruling that took the complete opposite view? Um, this is another reason um, uh, that the Supreme Court is going to need to weigh in. We now have effectively conflicting rulings from one circuit, which doesn't um, govern the federal district judge in Washington. How is the FDA supposed to know which ruling to comply with? We'll get an answer from the Supreme Court. Uh, Hugh, Tick Hugh is, um, I'm trying to figure out the nicest way to say this. I disagree with him um, on the law, but I agree with him on the result. Um, there are so many ways in which the Supreme Court, and it doesn't have to get to the merits of this case. The question before it right now is, should the status quo be left in place while the merits of the case are sorted out, while an appeals court determines whether there is standing and mootness and exhaustion and all the other, um, this is an administrative law final exam and a federal court's final exam question in the making. So uh, I have my fingers crossed for um, a rare action from the Supreme Court that I agree with. Wow, no, no need for me to go to law school when I've got you two. I've, I've, you know, Day after I'll get class, my... you can clean the erasers. All right, real, we, got two, we got two things to get to in less than five minutes. Um, bombshell, troubling reporting from ProPublica about Justice Clarence Thomas um, and his relationship with billionaire donor Harlan Crow, lavish trips, private planes, real estate transactions that were never disclosed. Um, how should Justice Thomas be held accountable for this? Some are calling for his impeachment. Would that be appropriate, Ruth? I am not anywhere close to that. Here's what would be appropriate. We need, um, number one, a full accounting from Justice Thomas, go back through his records, have one of the experts from the administrative office of the courts and the judicial conference go through the records and fix the disclosures. He is a recidivist, sorry to say this. Um, he has repeatedly failed to live up to the um, requirements of the disclosure rules. That leads to the second thing that needs to happen. The uh, Judicial Conference needs to, as a um, financial disclosure committee, they need to take a look at what Justice Thomas has done and what he has failed to do. They are obligated by law 
uh, if they have uh, reason to believe that he has knowingly and willfully violated the financial disclosure rules to refer that matter to the attorney general. This is, uh, we crossed the line here um, from making that seem like a sort of strange and unlikely argument to an argument that, while I don't think they're probably going to do that because judges don't like to discipline their own, they are really uh, legally required to take that argument very seriously at this point. Hugh? No, Ruth is wrong. I mean, wrong, wrong, wrong. The Judicial Wait, Conference what? has no standing over the Supreme Court. The Congress of the United States cannot legislate about the Supreme Court. The only rules that apply to Supreme Court disclosures are those that the justices apply to themselves. And it appears that they have adopted the new disclosure about real estate that Justice Thomas should have disclosed. But the $133,000 purchase of the home in which he grew up by Harlan Crow is not a matter of significance in his career. The gifts that he accepted were not even obligatory to be uh, disclosed. I believe in code of ethics. I just want to point out the law here as a matter of law. The Judicial Conference is not going to be referring any Supreme Court uh, justice for any reason. I, I, need to, um, I need to weigh in here because uh, my friend Hugh is 100% wrong. The Ethics in Government Act applies specifically to the federal judiciary, including Supreme Court justices. It is not a matter of grace that Supreme Court justices agree to uh, file financial disclosure forms. They file financial disclosure forms because they are required by law, like other federal officials, like other members of the judiciary. This is not one of those the code of conduct doesn't apply to them. This is a law that applies to them. Hugh, call me afterwards. We'll go through this. On um, this one, um, this is not a reasonable minds can disagree. I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> you are. We have to agree to disagree, Ruth, because that may have been adopted like the War Powers Act, but it is not applicable and it does not bind well, the court. You can argue that it's unconstitutional, but that is not um, where the law is now. Federal Supreme Court justices have been filing these forms for years, um, not because they're so nice, but because the law requires them to do it. Well, um, we don't even We're have enough time. time to we, get... we can go a long time on this if you oh, want, Oh, no, John. I, I know. Think... <laughs> I, I know. And we don't even have enough time to get to the last topic, which was about Senator Feinstein. But w w we'll come back to it um, uh, another time. Ruth Marcus, Hugh Hewitt, as always, thank you so much for coming to First Look. Have a good weekend. Thanks, you too. Thanks for listening. To always stay up to date with the series, subscribe to Washington Post Live's First Look on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.